the In Conversation podcast series with author Nigel Beckles. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the In Conversation podcast series. My guest today is Victims of Abusive Relationships advocate and radio presenter Patricia Wharton. Good afternoon, Patricia. <coughs> Welcome to my podcast series. Good afternoon, Nigel. How are you? I'm very well. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, there's a little bit of sunshine going on, so I'm always good and there's a bit of sunshine. Not very hot, but a bit of sunshine nonetheless, so I'm good. So what are you doing to occupy your time during the lockdown? Interestingly, um, I'm a real advocate for change. So I've really embraced the lockdown in a quite interesting way. And I've been teaching myself some new skills. And I'm not very technically astute. So I've been teaching myself some new technical skills. And I've been planning. I I don't know what uh, the future holds, but I've been planning nonetheless. I've spent more time in my garden which is great because I don't get to do that very often. I've spent more time relaxing. Um, and I think like a lot of people, I've spent more time eating. is <laughs> great. And so I've got some work to do. So I've gone back to try and keep fit and not spend so many trips going to the fridge or this new stat- snack cupboard I've created. I never had a snack cupboard before, mm. but I've got a snack cupboard. So yeah, so that's what I've been doing, catching up with people, um, doing a few Facebook Lives, um, I've also done an Instagram live interview, which was really great. First time I've done that. Um, and listening to other people's Facebook lives. Yeah, it's been good. I have noticed that um, there are a lot of people who are making good use of the, of the time. Unfortunately, there seems to be a rapid growth in bedroom DJs, mm. comedians, etc. But it's all good. I mean, what, yeah. you, what you don't like, you can just scroll past, can't you? So, you know. I think so, because I, I, th- I think you're right, there has been a lot of that, but I think what I like about that is that um, with television, um, I think there are less choices uh, in terms of things that I could watch that relate directly to me. So I've quite enjoyed looking through uh, social media and seeing some of the uh, live Facebook feeds that have been going out, the Instagram Facebook feeds, and I like the fact that people are being quite creative um, because there are people who've never done Facebook feeds. I mean, some of the bedroom DJs are quite funny, actually, I have to say. <laughs> uh, so there has been a few a few laughs and a couple of jokes about uh, what that what that looks like. So, but yeah, yeah, good. Oh, you're right. You can flick through um, if it's not for you. Um, I'll tell you what I've learned, though. I've learned how to use Zoom. And so I've set up a few Zoom meetings. So those have been those have been interesting. Well, it's good to keep yourself busy. So, Patricia, where did you grow up? So, I'm, I was born in England. Uh, my parents are actually from the Caribbean, St. Kitts in the Caribbean. Um, I wish I grew up there, but actually I grew up in the UK. I spent most of my childhood in an area uh, in London, uh, Wembley, uh, more specifically at Chalk Hill, uh, the Chalk Hill area, uh, Chalk Hill Estate. Um, so, I lived... Uh, next to an estate which is a phenomenal phenomenal range of uh flats uh with a huge community uh, and i say that quite fondly today because um it's a community that um although we've grown up and moved out of the area whenever we come back together uh, we had we did some of that uh recently whenever we've come back together it's like we've never been apart so it's like this massive family 
and uh, I affectionately uh, use the term Chalkillians. So that's where I grew up, yeah, in Brent. Well, it sounds as if um, there's a very strong community spirit there. There, there is, and I can't really put it into words how I feel. It always feels like a massive reunion uh, when we're back together. And we used to have the Chalka reunion uh, some years ago, but with um, government cuts and community centres being closed down and used for other things, uh, there is less of that. Um, but it's a community that I go back into. It's a community that I set up my, my first business in in that area. And I will always go back to that area because it really is like going home. Yeah. What were your favourite subjects when you were at school? My favourite subjects when I was at school, I'm just trying to think. I really loved school, but I think my favourite subject was probably probably English because I liked reading and I liked writing. So it's probably English. That said, I was a real, real keen sports person. I played netball, football for the Metropolitan Police. I played hockey. I, I did athletics, you name it. And, and I did it. So I'd say English and I've got to add PE to that as well. So I understand you attended university. Which qualifications did you obtain there? I did. I've got, got to tell you, it's a standing joke. I'm sometimes referred to as the three degrees because I went to university three times. Mm. So um, I studied psychology. Psychology was my undergraduate study. I studied psychology. I, I then went on to do um, a postgraduate certificate um, qualification in housing law with a module on domestic violence. So whilst, when I did that particular degree, it was work, it was work related. And so housing law and domestic violence was one of the other qualifications. Um, I then went to university again, and I qualified in what's shortly termed the NPQICL. Uh, which stands for a National Professional Qualification in Integrated Centre Leadership. Wow. That's a mouthful, right? I did that. Um, yeah, and a bit later on, I went on to do a postgraduate uh, study in psychotherapy. During your life journey, was there a particular life experience you believe changed you as a person? Yeah, um, there, there is actually a very, a very, very profound one um, in that at the age of 10, I witnessed the death of my mother. And so my life was a completely different life from that day on. Um, I think in, in some ways, as uh, because I was a child, um, I didn't really have a full sense of what, what was going on um, or the significance of, first of all, witnessing that um, and being the only other person in the room as a child. So witnessing that, I guess the level of helplessness has made me, I think, uh, view life, relationships, friendships and people more so than anything else. And I think it's more significant um, as I became a mother, first of all, uh, and just as I grew into uh, a young adult uh, and then into, into a woman. So that was absolutely very life-changing and, and what I use that that memory for now is that when things are very difficult my thing is if I could have you know I was a 10 year old child who witnessed that and I've lived through that and um, if I can do that then I can do this. 
So why did you become involved with becoming an advocate for victims and survivors of abusive relationships? Obviously, you studied it um, or studied the subject at university. But what made you feel you had to take that forward? So interestingly, uh, when I studied um, my psychology, uh, I'd gone into doing the study of psychology. So I went to university as an adult. I was already a, a mother of two children. And I wanted to do psychology because I was really passionate about uh, individuals who have learning difficulties, mainly dyslexia, because I'm dyslexic and both of my children are dyslexic. And I wanted to do something about that. Um, but I'm part of, uh, I think I did a four-year uh, degree. Towards the last year, I decided to do some part-time work just to kind of make your way through university as you do. And I was working in a housing association just part-time, and I met several psychologists there who were in housing. And I was thinking, oh, they've used their psychology for housing. That's interesting. Anyway, when I um, finished my qualification, I couldn't see any relationship between housing and psychology that, that would be something that I'd be going into. But surprisingly, when you come out of university, I think one of the things you want to do very quickly is get back into some full-time work and start using your newfound skill. Anyway, there's a, there was a job advertised around working in housing, which is quite interesting. And basically, the role was um, a family relationships worker. And I thought, oh, family relationships, that sounds great, psychology, I get that. Uh, when I read the job spec, I realised that actually it was a housing association who were working with uh, females who'd had experience or were currently <coughs> experiencing domestic abuse. So I took that job and, and I, I worked in, uh, I was working women's refuges. I was also working uh, in children's centres uh, as a domestic violence outreach worker. I then got approached to become a trainer uh, to deliver uh, domestic violence awareness. And I absolutely, if I can say that, absolutely loved it. And I thought it was so important that people just had a basic awareness, if nothing else. And I, I, I trained a lot of professionals, uh, GPs, housing officers, etc. cetera. Uh, so whilst doing that, um, a great opportunity came up to go to university and study housing law with a module on domestic violence. So I spent a lot of time in housing trying to move women in, in and out of women's refuges uh, and then trying to find secure and safe accommodation thereafter. Uh, so it was just interesting that this additional module of domestic violence was attached to the study of housing law. And the lecturer for that subject, he was very passionate about um, about domestic violence. And um, through that, I decided to do my dissertation um, on how uh, women, um, the term we use now is BAME, B-A-M-E, were affected differently from their white female counterparts and so that's how I ended up studying uh, housing law and domestic violence. So during the lockdown there have there has been a massive increase in reports of domestic violence and domestic abuse abuse yeah. so yeah. what advice would you give to someone in a domestic abuse situation currently? It's really, it's really interesting, Nigel, in that um, there's some, some current research by somebody called Karen Ingala-Smith, and she is the co-founder um, of an organisation called Counting Dead Women. Uh, and she is the said person who was uh, my senior, 
when I first started out in this role. Her research has shown that in the last six weeks or so, there's been 16 murders, when generally, the, um, if I can say, the general uh, statistics uh, is two per week. So you can see how much it's really, it's really gone up. Uh, my advice that I've been given uh, is not just to uh, the, the women or individuals that are in the abusive relationship, it's about the people around them as well. Because uh, we are now in lockdown, people are seeing less of each other and therefore there's less opportunity to observe a difference in behaviour. If the woman's experiencing physical abuse, it's difficult to see the physical abuse. Um, what's more difficult also is that there's less free time if the individual is now having to be locked down, as it were, or locked in, in an environment with the abuser, chances are it's, it's gone up as we know. I think my, my advice to people around is still keep an eye on your friends. If their behavior seems a little bit different, um, if you're not getting hold of them, uh, you know, keep, keep trying. Uh, listen carefully to what um, the women are saying. Um, women that are, or individuals that are in that situation, my advice is that there is uh, still help. Uh, you can still call 999. Uh, much people think there's going to be no real response um, because the, the emergency services are so busy. Um, but the domestic violence helplines um, are still open and available. Um, maybe they can send a text message to somebody if they're unable to, um, you know, to make an, an actual call. Some, some deliveries are still coming to the household, you know, people are delivering parcels. There might be some way of them getting a message out whilst they're away from being, you know, in the main part of the house with, um, with the individual. The other thing to say, though, is that for a woman or individual who's thinking of leaving, this is by far the time at which they are most at risk uh, because domestic violence is really about um, power and control. So if the individual is thinking about leaving or making any suggestions or showing any signs, the perpetrator is generally going to try to uh, prevent them from, from doing that. So it is about trying to keep yourself safe at the same time. If you're an individual and you, you happen to be living with children, it's to remind and reinforce that children are also impacted by being witnesses of abuse. And sometimes they're caught up in that abuse as well. So it's about thinking about yourselves if you're in a difficult situation, but think also about the impact and the safety of, of, of your children and see if you can send a text message, then delete it out of your phone in case the abuser is somebody who goes through your phone. Think about if there's somebody that you know that is, that is a safe person that you can trust and that they can help you to handle the situation. The, the other thing, though, uh, Nigel, is that some women are actually reporting uh, for the first time since the, since the whole lockdown. And that might be because now they feel more helpless than ever because they're not going to work, they're not seeing their friends, and, and no one's coming in and out of, of the property. So I think that would, that would, be, my, that would be my quick tips. Well, I think that's that's great advice. I know you're involved with organising events discussing domestic abuse issues. What made you decide to begin putting on those particular types of events? 
Okay, so interestingly, um, having worked uh, specifically in the area um, of domestic abuse, I decided that I would do something that's a bit more generic. And so I came out of the, of the direct work. What happened was um, I, I'm also a radio presenter. Oh, we're going to get onto we're going to get onto that. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll talk we'll talk some more about that. So in short, one of my listeners contacted me and said they you know it's a talk show and that they've seen some of the subjects I'd covered, and they had said that basically they were a, a survivor of domestic violence and they were ready to tell their story. And could they come on the show to tell the story? So, of course, I said, yes, you know, of course you can. That's great. You know, we'll have to have some conversations around how we're going to manage that and and how we're also going to keep you safe. And, of course, this individual was going to be telling the whole world, effectively, because my show uh, is is international. And so I wanted to talk to her about uh, what that might feel like. Um, So anyway, we did we did the show and that show attracted almost 600 listeners post the live show. And so I felt compelled that if there were 600 people post the live show that listened to it, that was a huge amount of people that needed to hear that. Also, I had to, to do the kind of at the end of the show and during the show, I, I did say, you know, if you have um, or you are currently being affected by domestic abuse, um, please do contact me after the show. The amount of calls I got, Nigel, was unbelievable. Mm. Uh, and not just the amount, the length of calls. And I guess some of it was who I got the calls from. So I got calls from more men than I would have expected who had been um, witnesses, child witnesses Mm. of abuse, and they were now adults. And they had never really spoken about it before, um, and they wanted to talk about it now. And some of those conversations were two full-hour conversations one was a three-hour conversation. I had men calling up in tears. And then I, I had females messaging as well, you know, saying they wanted to talk to me and could they have an, an hour's counselling session. And it just, my, literally, my phone blew up. People were stopping me in the street saying, I heard your show um, on domestic abuse and other people were asking if I could send it to them. It just grew legs. And I thought, okay... So there must be a reason why I've been called back to do to do that show. So I did decide then to do a domestic violence awareness event. And um, what that looks like was it was it's myself as a trainer, um, an author uh, who was also someone who works in domestic abuse. And then I had a family solicitor who was quite useful. I had uh, a male worker who'd worked with male perpetrators on a domestic violence intervention project and him and I had done a twin project where he worked with the perpetrators and I worked with the um with the female survivors so he worked with the male perpetrators um and so we also had my guest who was on the show uh she also gave an account of her story and again the feedback forms were just uh, heart-rendering actually heart-wrenching so I've, I've just, and I've had other people contact me and ask me to do some stuff uh, around domestic abuse. So yeah, so I've been called out of retirement, I think is the, yeah, it's the best way to put it. Well, I'm not surprised by the response. I actually began a, a support group on Facebook 
called on Reflections on Abusive Relationships about eight years ago. And now uh-huh. the group has over 20,000, yeah, 20,000 members the group has now. Wow. And you know, I, read, I read some horrific stories every day. I'm, mm. I'm interested in what you had to say about men um, mm-hmm. being abused and um, witnessing domestic violence while they were growing up. Because I'm one of those guys. I witnessed mm. um, domestic violence when I was growing up and it did have an impact on me um, during my adult years with some yeah. issues I had to um, unpack, basically. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. But how did you get involved with radio in the first place? Okay, so with radio, okay, so interestingly, um, I, in 2017, I, I had what I call my year of saying yes. And I challenged myself that I would say yes to things that I'd never done before or things that I was a little bit scared of doing or uncertain. And I was really just going to step out of my box uh, because I was very much somebody who thought quite a lot about things before I'd done them. How will I get there? What time? How much will it cost? Etc. Shall I do it? Is it the right thing? Is it not? And I just thought, I'm just going to go for it this year. And um, somebody approached me and said to me, Patricia, would you like to do a focus group around economics? And I said, no, because it just seemed so boring to me. <laughs> and I then quickly remembered that I'd set myself a task, and that was to say yes. So fast forward, I did the, the first of the... Uh, economic groups and I got contacted by a film director who wanted to follow my story and I I agreed I gave some stipulations but I agreed I said okay that's fine so he was going to follow me throughout this process of doing this focus group that was going to run for about four months and then that meant of course I was on camera quite a lot and I did I, I do a lot of erms and ahs and because I was talking so much and I was being focused on so much, it became apparent that I had this issue with the arms, arms and stuttering and all kinds of speech things. And I said to him, actually, I'm finding myself quite irritating. And he said, why don't you go and do, I think it's a media course or something. And I was like, okay, yeah, that'd be good. Of course I said, yes, it's my year of saying yes. So a couple of weeks later, interestingly, a friend of mine put out a post saying, he's doing some media training. Is anybody interested? Of course, I said, yes, it's my year of saying yes, right? So I went along to this media training. I thought, this is fantastic. I can use this for my documentary. Partway through the, um, through the course, uh, the presenter was saying, okay, so, you know, you, you need to start thinking about the types of shows you're going to have. And in my head, I was like, hmm, shows? I'm not sure about, I didn't know anything about these shows. And he said, oh, were you not aware that this is really uh, for people who are interested in being part of this new radio station that we're setting up. A big chunk of what my friend didn't actually remember to tell me. And because I was saying <laughs> yes, I just went along with it. So I said, oh, but I, I can't play music like that. I can only play music for myself. So I can't possibly be a radio DJ. And he said, but radio isn't just about music. And I thought, oh, of course it's not. But then what would I do? Uh, you've probably sensed now, Nigel, that I talk quite a lot. So, <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> so I decided to do a talk show. Of course, what else would I do, a talk show? So I embarked on uh, what is now called uh, the Let's Talk Show. And that's been running since about 2018. 
And it's a combination of, I guess in the beginning, I was thinking, okay, what am I going to talk about? So I started researching, you know, newsworthy stuff on the internet, etc., and did a few of those. Um, and then I decided to start interviewing um, individuals. So my show now consists of uh, interviews and um, and music. So because I'm not a music DJ, a musical DJ, what I do is my guests choose the playlist for the show. So I get my guests to choose about four or five songs. That mingles in with the, with the conversation. I ask them why they've chosen a song and what it means to them, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the Let's Talk show. That now attracts about, probably I think about 5,000 on 5,000 listeners in, internationally on my SoundCloud. And then I decided, actually, I think I want to take some of these shows live on the road and do some events. So now I do that also. So that's my story about radio presenting. And I absolutely love it. What station does your show go out on? It goes out live every Saturday morning uh, from the hours of 11 until 1pm. And it goes out on the Chalk Hill Community Radio Station, which is um, it's an internet station. So what I do is I send out an app and people log on to, sorry, not an app, I send out some information and people just log on to it. So that's www.chalkhillcommunityradio.com. Okay, and how can people contact you, Patricia? So they can contact us on Instagram. There's also, uh, we've also got a Facebook page. They can also, I, I generally give out a telephone number so I can do that. And so that's what all the calls and texts is. So people call and text the individual radio presenters. Okay, that sounds yeah. Yeah, that sounds um that sounds fair enough. So you are easily contactable, as it were. I would say so. My my um radio presenter name is Blaze B L A Z E, uh, but I have a, a Facebook page that's just my full name. It's really simple and easy to find. It's Patricia Walton. I also have an Instagram page, patricia.walton05. You can find him on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. In fact, you can actually Google me. I'll show up there as well. Google. I show up in Google. Okay, well, thank you very much, Patricia. It has been great talking to you. You have a wealth of knowledge. So take care. Thank you, Nigel. Thank you for listening. Please join me for another In Conversations podcast very soon for more interesting and entertaining discussions. Stay safe.